Hello and welcome to the Refuge Church Podcast, where we long to see the lost saved, the saved transformed, and the transformed sent. For more information on how you can be a part of Refuge Church, join us on Sunday mornings in Jacksonville at 9 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. or visit our website at refugejackschurch.com. In this week's podcast, we are continuing our sermon series through Luke. Thank you for listening. Uh, man, we got a couple things real quick, and then we'll jump into Luke 12. Um, man, prayer groups, I know one's meeting tomorrow night. If yours is meeting, man, let us know. We'd love to know if you've met or they're meeting. If you want to know more about prayer groups, um, see Stephen after. How'd that feel? Perfect. So, uh, man, second thing, uh, who, just by a show of hands, has participated on some level in Centered? Just curious if you're doing that. Uh, so if your hand's not up, you need to do that. So I just I, I thought that was the best way to do that. So uh, Centered is our midweek Bible study. It'll be uh, week four. will be this uh, this week, uh, Wednesday night, 7 p.m. You can go on our website and check that out there. Uh, but it's an online midweek Bible study, um, man, making your life a little easier, I hope. So, um, And then listen, when you came in, you might have been given a little card that said Seek Refuge at the top. Um, on Saturday, two big kind of foster things are happening. Um, the classes that you take to get licensed as a, as a foster parent uh, are called Pride classes, and their last uh, class, Katie, is that right? I don't know where you are, uh, is this Saturday, so that's happening. You can't come to that unless you signed up and know about it, but on top of that, so we're going to have a lot of families here, um, we have a storage uh, kind of foster closet full of stuff, uh, shoes, clothes, bikes, uh, high chairs, um, those kinds of things, uh, even gifts kind of a thing. So we're going to be opening up the foster closet on Saturday for our community and saying, hey, if you have foster children, uh, or even if you had them, come and get some stuff. And here's what we'd like to ask you to do. If you this week are out buying groceries, Costco, Target for your family, or if you're at Target, kind of just doing your own thing, um, if you would pick up some diapers or some wipes, bring them to the church, we would love just to kind of encourage families in that way uh, if you're able to do that um, financially and that kind of thing. And then if you want to be here Saturday to help just kind of serve, uh, give out diapers, load them in a car, meet somebody, um, if you'll text uh, Tanya on that, we gave out her phone number, I'm sure she's so pumped about that, but if you'll text Tanya uh, and let her know you'd love to help, that would be super, super helpful. So uh, that is the plan. If you have any questions, you can see me after. Uh, Luke chapter 12, um, we're working through the book of Luke, I'll tell you right now, we're going to really talk about two things. You can write this down. Fear of man and anxiety. Fear of man and anxiety. Um, yesterday, uh, we took all of our children to Target, which is an adventure, and really, you know, probably some training that's good for godliness and reproof and all that kind of stuff. And so, uh, Hunter needed new shoes, so we're trying to get Hunter some shoes. Um, and I don't know if you have kids, but you can't just get one kid's shoes, apparently. So, uh, so Zoe also needed shoes, and so, um, so we found some kind of cheap jelly little girl shoes to stick on her feet uh, that we were going to purchase, uh, going to, operative word, and so, um, so we stuck them on her feet and um, <clears throat> walked her around, and towards the end of our target uh, and day, um, we, uh, one of the children, we'll just go there because it's safer, uh, began to melt down, and so I said, hey, I'll take these people to the car, and you can do that stuff, and then we'll meet at the car and go home, and it'll be better. And so uh, we get to the car, I load her in the car, load the other one in the car, they're in the car, everybody's in the car, we drive home, get to the house, and you know when you buy shoes at Target, there's a little string with the tag still attached to the shoes? Um, that was still there. We did not pay for the shoes. Zoe stole the shoes from Target yesterday, um, so we get there, and so there's a lot of fear in our home right now that the authorities are going to show up. We keep telling Zoe, we pulled out, um, you know, we, we turned to the Old Testament, pulled out the Ten Commandments last night, and we were trying to show her that, you know, you don't, st- I'm kidding, that's, none of that's true. And so what is true is that we stole shoes from Target yesterday, and one of us, Beth, has to go back today and 
purchase the shoes that we stole. So didn't mean to. We just, they were on our feet. We walked out of Target, and here we are now. If you work at Target, please don't report us. We just, we're going to do the right thing. This is where we are. But as we talked about it last night, like a little bit, a little bit of kind of attitude came up in one of us. And, and like, you know, how do we go about this and how do we make this right? And, and uh, man, fear and anxiety and, and all of these things. Um, man, and that's what I want to talk about today just for a couple of minutes as we get into Luke chapter 12. Um, what happens uh, at this point in Luke, and really for the first 10, ta- 10, 10 chapters, uh, you saw the author, Luke, um, presenting Jesus. Just really the first half of Luke is him going, hey, here's Jesus, and here's what he's about, and here's how he lives, and here's what he's going to do. Um, and then really around 11 or 12, a little bit of a shift takes place, uh, and that shift is um, you see Jesus beginning to kind of go after people's heart, confront their sin, confront worldviews, confront ideologies. And here's what I need you to see, and this is really going to be specific for next week. Jesus doesn't always attack uh, the, the kind of the non-believer, the person who doesn't follow him. He really is always coming after the believer or the one who's choosing to follow him. So leading up to Easter in Luke, Jesus is going to be confronting our sin, our struggles, our identities, our internal battles, our worldviews, our ideologies, seeking to help you and I follow him better, more deeply, and more faithfully. And so two of the greatest challenges that Jesus is going to kind of address here are, number one, the fear of man, and number two, anxiety. Um, now, I want to be clear, and I'll probably say this again. When we get to the anxiety part, I need you to know uh, this is not a 15-minute, take this pill, read the Bible more, pray more, and you won't have anxiety. This is, this is how Jesus spoke to anxiety. So if you wrestle with that, please don't hear this as a dismissive, just read the Bible more, but as a, here's how, just what Jesus had to say about how to attack and confront anxiety in our lives. So Luke 12, in the middle of the Gospel of Luke, we see Luke moving from presenting Jesus to the reader to challenging the reader. And so from here on out, Jesus is preaching and teaching on the necessity and the value of following him, really asking the question of his followers, ready, what does it mean to be a true follower of Jesus? And and maybe the second question might be, what areas of your life do you struggle to follow Jesus in? So um, where is that for you? So if you look at Luke 12, starting in verse 1, it says, In the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together, uh, they were trampling one another, and he began to say to his disciples, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And then he goes on to say, Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. And so he comes out of the gate with this, Look at the crowd. And again, look back at the very first sentence. In the meantime, where so many thousands of people had gathered. Listen, to, to them and to us, we see that and we go, thousands of people must be success. That we kind of read that, and if we're not careful, we begin to go, numbers must mean success. The crowd is following Christ, and it has become a mob. This to the world would have seemed and looked successful. Look at how many followers he has. Most Christian leaders and churches would say success. But listen. Don't confuse crowds and big shows for fruit. I mean, Jesus is really going to get to the core of something here, but here's here's what he's starting to say. Big and flashy, man, doesn't always mean fruitful. We love to measure ministry effectiveness by numbers. I've heard a few people say, we need a few more couples to gather so we can have prayer groups. Man, I would say, listen, one-on-one is greater than one on a hundred. Hear me, church, numbers are not the measuring stick. And, And the fear of man always expresses itself in love for crowds. Can I just tell you this, and this is a good thing for you to write down, this applies, sometimes we think this just applies to the church and the pastor, but it applies to all of our lives, and that Jesus is not impressed with numbers. 
So if you write a check next week for $10 more, if it doesn't impress Christ, it honors Christ. Jesus speaks to his disciples. He says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And without getting into the leaven, he's saying, he's talking about the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. Really what he's saying is, I've got this big group, but most of them are hypocrites. Hypocrisy is not saying one thing and doing another. Hypocrisy is living a double life, where I live one way around Jesus and another way when he's not there. Can I just tell you, men, that the double life is the most exhausting way to live today? Listen to what verse 2 says. Nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. These are Jesus' words. Nothing is hidden that will not be uncovered. What you do that you think no one sees, this is Christ saying, I see it. And there's something beautiful in that if you really get it. Because the, the gospel, Romans 8, says that God sees us at our darkest and still chooses to love us. So the thing that you're hiding from everyone else, can I just tell you, man, Christ knows it and still loves you. And he doesn't love you any different because you're hiding that. What you do in the dark, he says, will be heard in the light. Man, I would tell you, what you hide, you will, will be exposed. Fear of man leads so many people to live a double life. So fearful of disappointing someone. So, so let's talk about fear of man for a couple minutes if we could. I, I have a couple things that might be encouraging to you. But, but the fear of man is a sinful idol that cripples man. The fear of man is a sinful idol that cripples man. We just sang this song that said, you have no rival. When we sing that, we are declaring, Lord, smash the idols in my life. Let me say this. Fear of man will steal your joy. The little bit of joy you may have or pursue, man, fear of man will steal that. How about this? Fear of man will hold you back from the worship of God. Man, have you ever found yourself not wanting to sing a little louder, move to a different place, raise your hands in worship solely because of the people around you? And what's happening in that moment? We're being held back from the worship of God. Listen, fear of man will keep you from authentic community. Like, there should be people in your life, your spouse first, if you're married, who know you deeply, who know what you struggle with, who know in your dark moments where you might turn without somebody stepping in. And fear of man keeps us from that. What if they find out that I'm a sinner? They already know. Fear of man will hinder you from living sent. We talk about living sent a lot at Refuge. And fear of man will hinder you from living sent. Listen, um, I read this this week by a biblical counselor named Ed Welch, and he said this, he said, fear of man is the soul's default setting. Meaning, we wake up and we wonder who we should fear that day that's not the Lord. And then tomorrow, it'll be the same thing. And the next day, it'll be the same thing. Um, that, that same biblical counselor lists a, 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 an exhaustive list of diagnostic questions to help you realize if you struggle with fear of man. I wrote down six. There's about 20. You can Google Ed Welch uh, questions later and you'll see them, but... I'll give you a few. Number one, do you need something from others so bad that you become dependent on them? Do you expect a lot from people? All right, so let's get personal. Do you crave compliments? My butt looks a little fat. Anyway, so you're right, like you fish for something, right? Uh, I do that, to be clear. I'm not mocking anyone, right? Do you say something derogatory about yourself so someone will correct you? And do you crave compliments, right? Do you need others' approval? So I, I think one of the hardest things to do is, is walk in, the, in, in, in life in, in, and struggle with fear of man and try to be faithful to what the Lord's calling you to do. 
Because God's going to say one thing. And let me be really clear. Well-intending Christians are going to say another thing. We had people tell us, hey, it's 2020, there's COVID, you should not start a church. What do you do with that? We had people tell us, you shouldn't foster, you shouldn't adopt. People tell us, you definitely shouldn't adopt out of your race. We, people tell us things all the time, do they not, that contradict what God has told us. I mean, do you need others' approval or do you need the Lord's approval? And this is Galatians 1, Paul says, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Remember the fifth question he asks, are you constantly afraid you might be exposed as a fraud or an imposter? I just, man, we'll talk about this in a minute again, but I think being exposed as who you really are is one of the most healthy things you can do as a Christian for your soul. With someone you trust. And I don't mean you get on Facebook later and go, here's my deepest, darkest. That would not be a wise thing. But I mean with somebody you trust, here's my deepest, darkest. Number six, do you compare yourself to others to feel good about yourself? Fear of man is an idol and is the default setting of our soul. Fear of man for so many Christians dictates a life that God never intended for you. John 10.10 says the the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Man, you can take that to say fear of man will catch you, kill you, and eat you. Fear of man, listen, and then write this down, please. Fear of man leaves little room for you and I to follow Jesus. If we're constantly consumed with fearing and pleasing others around us who aren't Jesus, there's going to be a little bit of room left, if any, to actually follow Jesus. He continues to talk about this. Verse 4, I tell you, friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more they can do. So, man, but I, I warn you, whom to fear? Fear him who, after he has killed you, has authority to cast you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Verse 6, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten by God. Why even, and you've probably heard this verse before, even the hairs on your heads are numbered. Fear not, you are more valuable than many sparrows. When Jesus is here saying, choose wisely who you follow and who you fear, who you seek to please. Jesus is pointing the tension that lies between choosing to fear and follow man and fear and follow God. Let me just be very clear. Fearing man almost always leads to a double life. And following Jesus exposes the double life. You cannot follow Jesus faithfully and not be exposed for what's really going on. And again, we're saying that's a good thing. As Jesus' ministry grows, it's pretty clear he's beginning to draw a hard distinction. He's making very clear the calling to follow him. That to follow Christ means being all in. That we cannot be a disciple of Christ and live a double life. Listen, it's not popular today, but we have traded in so many ways the fear of God for fear of man. When, we, when you read the Old Testament, so many times it draws on the idea of fearing God. Listen, in the Old Testament, fearing God is a form of worship. I mean, when was the last time you sat in a chair in awe and in fear of the one who made you? One day we will stand before God and give an account for our lives. Can I just say, live in light of that day in a healthy fear. Not in karma, not, um, man, if I cut someone off in traffic, God's going to be mad at me. That's not what we're saying. We're saying that, that God's not going to get mad at that, but our sin does ignite the wrath of God, which was poured out on Christ for our behalf. Fear God, the one who gives life and takes it, and the one who has power over all things. Man, uh, about 12 years ago, I was trying to do the time earlier this morning, um, I was working, so I've been in ministry like 20-something years, so I was working in a church, so just be clear, so we're all in this together, um, and, and the pastor that I served under as a youth pastor wasn't in Florida, so uh, we really had it out over something, um, and, it, and it came to a high volume in the office, and then I went to a lunch with a friend, and I don't know where he went, 
Um, at that lunch, I spent about two hours over some buffalo chicken strips just ripping that pastor a new one. Gossip. I mean, everything I could say that wasn't a foul word, I said it. I hate this guy. He's terrible. He's an idiot. You know, just, just really being really ugly, really critical, really, really sinful. Um, the, the, the pastor that I served under was named was Mike. Um, the guy I was meeting with was named Stuart. This is very important. Um, so get in the car, driving home, turn on Shane and Shane, and I don't know if this ever happens to you. You do something stupid, say something stupid, and the Holy Spirit just goes... That was stupid, you know, and you have to kind of make it right. And so uh, I pull my phone out while I'm driving, pull up a text. Hey, Stu, so sorry for my comments today. So sorry for the gossip. So sorry for the slander. Shouldn't have acted that way. Really, really just, man, I just an on and on long, long text. Shouldn't have said that about Mike. Shouldn't have said that about Mike. Even though he is not right in this situation. I mean, I just like long, long, long text. Um, Sent it to who I thought was Stuart. Set my phone down, and within 30 seconds, my phone rings, and it's Mike. And he says, hey, I got your text. And I said, didn't text you. <laughs> and he said, yeah, you did. Check your phone. And so I checked my phone, and it was just goosebumps and panic and emotion, and let's go in the curve. You know I mean? Like, I just didn't know, what do you do in that moment? And he said, and he says, it's okay. I'll be at the office in 20 minutes. We'll talk then. Um, and I think that that still feels like today that 20 minutes is still going on. Like that moment of it's, we're never going to arrive when he's going to walk in and let me have it, right? And he walked in and he was like, that was about me. And I was like, that was about you. <laughs> like, what do you do in that moment, right? Man, fear of man. And listen, I joke, but that 20 minutes felt like an eternity. I was so concerned. I, I had sinned. And I didn't want him to know that I was a sinner, much less a sin against him. I wanted that to be hidden. Listen, verse 8. He says, and I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men and the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemies against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, look what it says. Do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. So he continues talking about fear of man. He says, when we acknowledge Christ before men, not by argument or earthly alignment or by what we share online, but when we acknowledge Christ before men, that he is Lord of my life, then that's when we become his disciple. And as disciples, disciples, it brings transformation from fear of man to fear of God. Acknowledging Christ, listen, before man is one of the ways we fight and war against the fear of man in our own hearts. This is who I am. This is what I struggle with. But he is Lord of my life. I live to follow Jesus, letting the chips fall where they may with man. And look what he says in verse 11. Man, we are not those who are anxious. We don't have to be anxious about what to say or how we should defend ourselves. Listen, This was so helpful for me as I studied this. Fear of man leaves us to constantly seek to defend ourselves, does it not? But in following Christ, Christ becomes our defender. and We have no reason to defend ourselves any longer. In in that space, while it's not okay to be a sinner, it's understood that I'm a sinner. But that Christ is my righteousness. Man, fear of man leads us to defend ourselves. Following Christ, Christ becomes our defender. Look at verse 12. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in the very hour what you should say. Look at the word teach. It's not tell you. It's not put the words in your mouth. 
teach you. There's going to be a teaching that takes place in faithfulness, in obedience, as you seek to, men wage war against the fear of man in your life. If fear of man is the default setting, and it is, then following Christ is the way we wage war against that struggle. Following Christ is the only worthy response to fear of man. Let me just be very clear. I have not met a person on this planet that doesn't wrestle in some way with fear of man. It is natural to struggle with fear of man. But Jesus is saying, you can't just say, that's my battle. You've got to continue to follow faithfully and do something about it. Following Jesus then begins to root out some of the fear of man when we obediently, faithfully, and willingly follow him and him alone. One of the main reasons people today do not share their faith and do not invite others to church and don't strike up spiritual conversations at the coffee shop or in their neighborhood is fear of man. We fear rejection. What if they think I'm weird? Can I just be honest with you? They will. They will. And it's okay. Because in that moment, if it's about you being cool, it's no longer about the Lord. But man, if it's about you being weird, then your weakness is full display and God's about to show up in mighty and power, right? When verse 11 and 12 are promises that even standing there, God will give you the words to say. And so he really comes after them with fear of man. And if you think he's like not all up in your business, then he jumps into anxiety. So again, one more time, I don't want today, I know anxiety is an issue that is real and people really battle it in real ways today. And the last thing I want to do is go, hey, read the Bible more and you won't struggle. That's not what the message that Jesus is going to give with anxiety here. Please don't hear that. No one's dismissing, man, your struggle with that today. But I do think there's some truth that can counter a struggle with anxiety. So look at verse 22. What does he say? And he says to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. He says, don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat. How about this? Praise the Lord about your body, right? Amen. You saw the mirror this morning. What you will put on. What is he saying? He's saying life is more than food and clothes. Can I just show you what he doesn't say? He doesn't say don't be anxious, period. But he says don't be anxious about things that really aren't kingdom eternal things. He's saying let's put anxiety in its proper place. There are things in life that should be concerning and things that shouldn't. There are things in life that probably should bring a little bit of anxiety. Listen, when Ezra was born, he had seizures. He didn't cry. He spent the first two weeks in the hospital attached to all kinds of machines. I didn't stand there all happy like, yeah, this is great. Like, I was worried. There was anxiety in my soul, not about what I was going to wear, but about is my son going to live? That is normal. The, there are things in life worth worrying about and things not worth worrying about. But life is more than food and clothes. But... Worry shouldn't overtake our ability to follow Jesus. In fact, Jesus is where we take those worries, where we find reprieve in the anxiety and in the worry. And over the next several verses, he's going to continue to talk about and almost confront anxiety with truth. Look at verse 23. For life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. We've already said this, but life is more than food. There are more important things than what you will eat. Man, I mean, you see in Matthew, and we're going to read it later, he says, consider the lilies of the field. Can I, can I just, man, following Jesus, no matter what you struggle with, gives perspective into earthly things, into things that aren't eternal. Then life is more than food and clothing, is it not? Verse 24. I love this verse. I got really kind of geeked up when I was studying this week. He says, consider the ravens. Can we just pause for a minute before we understand where he's about to go and ask, have you ever considered the ravens? 
Has there ever been a moment in your life where you were like, man, I wonder how the Ravens are today? Not the Super Bowl, like NFL team. I'm saying birds. Like, is anyone in the room passionate about Ravens before we just dunk all over them? No one woke up this morning concerned. I wonder how the Ravens in our world are today. Like, no one sees a raven and goes, look at that pretty raven. Hey, honey, look at, no, like, like if, if, if a raven flies into your window this afternoon and dies, you go, that's weird, we might need to move, but I don't care, right? Like, hummingbird does, you probably have a funeral, right? Like, like this is, we, when we consider a raven, this is like a ghetto, dumpy bird that we're like, it's here, it kind of glorifies God, I'm sure it does, but it's kind of weird and dark, and somebody wrote a poem about it, I, right? Like, we don't wake up and go, the raven, we wake up and go, uh, right? Like, just get that, because look what he says, consider the raven, they neither sow nor reap. He kind of says they're junk birds. This is Jesus talking about his creation. They have neither storehouses nor barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than the birds? He says, man, I care about ravens. You don't. And I care about you so much more. And verse 24, following Jesus brings security to life. He says, you are more valuable than ravens, and they have all they need. I mean, if this verse said, consider the eagle, you might be like, well, they're kind of better than me. Or consider some beautiful bird at the zoo, but this is not what he's saying. He's saying, consider the ravens. I take care of them they are secure in my provision, certainly you are as well. Verse 25, and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? I used to read that verse and think it was almost like an insult. Um, like, why are you worried? You're still worried? But that's not what he's saying. Listen to what he's saying. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour? What is he talking about? He's talking about time. Following Jesus reminds us that time belongs to God, and he can redeem time, and he can take time away. But when I'm anxious about not having time, the Lord is God even over time. And following Jesus reminds me that, that God is sovereign over time. Verse 26, if then you are not able to do a small thing as that, why are you anxious about rest? Following Jesus brings rest. Men, when we can find rest, excuse me, we can find rest in the midst of turmoil, crisis, suffering, loss, and following Christ. And as we walk in intimacy with Jesus, rest is found. So even in the most man, difficult and challenging life circumstances, we can find rest even for a few moments in Christ. Verse 27, consider here they are, the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. They don't work, I tell you. Even Solomon in all his glory is not arrayed like one of these. Look what he's saying. He's saying, man, he's talking about image and appearance. Following Jesus brings contentment to my image and my appearance. Whereas instead of chasing after worldly beauty and worth that is fleeting, we find that in Christ we have true beauty and worth. Verse 28. But if God so clothed the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O little of faith? And he's talking about our wants and our desires. Listen, following Jesus changes our wants and our desires. Whereas God replaces our wants and desires with holy things that stir our affections more deeply for Jesus. So I shared this earlier, and, and there's probably some shame attached, but I'm okay. Like, let's expose, right? And so um, I didn't read a book until I became a Christian, which would be great if I became a Christian at four um, but I was almost 19 when I became a Christian. Didn't read a book. Somehow made it out of high school. Didn't read a book. And when I came to Christ, man, I, the Lord began to develop in me a desire to read, where now I'm, 
I read a pretty good bit. And, and, and not in a weird flex way, just the change in my desires from didn't care to read, now almost can't live without reading kind of a thing. This is what it means when God changes our wants and our desires, that God replaces them with holy things that stir our affections more deeply with Christ. Like when the Amazon guy pulls up, I get pumped in a weird way. Amazon guy's here, maybe a book. Like that's, that's really uncomfortable. Like I say, hey guy, and he's like, oh, what's wrong? This is not good right now, right? Didn't pray. Verse 29, do not seek what to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. Following Jesus reminds us of his provision. Can I just have you write down, man, God desires to meet your needs? Like, you need to believe that and know that God desires to meet your needs. He's not sitting back going, well, they didn't invest well. Guess they're going to be homeless. And God desires to meet your needs. How about this? Man, do you allow him the space to do so? Do you allow him to say, Lord, if you don't show up here, it's not going to work out. Man, following Jesus reminds us of his provision. And hear me, reminds us of his provision doesn't mean I believe more. It means every time I'm reminded, then my faith in his provision can grow a little bit more. Verse 30, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Listen, when we follow Jesus, we are reminded that God knows our needs. So he desires to meet our needs, and he knows our needs. Man, he knows what we don't have, and he knows what we do have. So if, if one of my sons came to me tomorrow and didn't have any pants for school, I wouldn't look at him and say, good luck, go without pants. Hope that goes well for you in your Batman drawers. Like, I just, I wouldn't send him away that way because I'm his father, I love him, I know what he needs, and I want to meet those needs. And can we just be really clear? Man, our heavenly father's love for us is way more than my love for my son. Man, so when we follow Jesus, we are reminded that God knows our needs. Man, sometimes we read the word and he just speaks, hey, I know what you need. And can I just, man, this little reminder is helpful. God often meet my need, meets my needs, not how I would have thought he would. Does that make sense? Verse 31, instead seek the kingdom and these things will be added to you. So he says, seek the kingdom and all these things discussed above are yours. Verse 32, fear not, little flock. Look what it says, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. When people seek God's kingdom rather than their own, what this tells us is God meets their needs in their life. The natural consequence of doing that is God taking care of those who seek him. There is something very unchristian about seeking things and needs apart from God with worry and anxiety. The mystery of life is when we know and follow Jesus, he provides for our needs and we begin to receive a kingdom instead of anxiety. And then he goes into verse 33. He says, so sell all your stuff. Sell all your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in which the heavens that do not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. He's talking about our money and our resources. And what does he say? He says, following Jesus changes what is valuable to us. What we once saw as extremely valuable now doesn't have the value it does. One of the ways this has been said by so many people, not me, original, is that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. What Jesus is saying in all of this as we wrestle with anxiety, and I think most of us do on some level, is that Jesus is better than food. And he's better than clothing. And he's better than feeling secure. 
And he's better than time and rest and wants and needs and money and stuff. In challenging our fear of man and in challenging our anxiety, can I just be really clear? Jesus is really going after our contentment. Here's what he's asking you and I this morning and he's asking the people here. Jesus is saying, if I am all you have, is that enough? He's asking, are you content with Christ alone? Not content with Christ plus Jesus, plus this thing makes me happy, but Jesus alone makes me happy, brings me contentment. Would you pray with me? God, we love you, and we are so grateful for your word and how it speaks into things we struggle with in grace and in encouraging ways. God, that that we don't feel wounded by what you've had to say, God, but we feel lifted up by what you've had to say to us, God. And maybe you're in the room, and you're you're wondering... um, Man, what it, like, what it looks like to place faith in Christ. And if you want to do that this morning, myself or Donnie, his wife Beth, one of our elders, will be after the service up front. We'd love to talk to you about that. But man, if you'd love to place faith in Christ this morning, I would just tell you, you can pray this simple prayer. God, would you save me? Would you forgive me of my sins? Would you become Lord of my life? And if you pray that or want to pray something like that, would you come see one of us after? Or maybe you're in the room and we talked about something that just hit home today. You just feel it in your soul. It just, it just kind of grabbed a hold of you. Can I just encourage you for the next couple of minutes to not leave that space, but to ask the Lord to continue working right there, continue meeting you? Lord, we, we pray that you would lead us to a place, God, when you are all we have, that's enough. That we would be content with you and you alone. God, would you draw us to you? God, if we... As though I'm sure there are those in the room that struggle with anxiety. God, would you meet them in that space? Lord, would you remind them of your goodness? Remind them what it looks like to follow you and remind them, God, that in following you, God, God, they arrive at a contentment in you, even when things around them might not feel so good. God, for those of us that struggle with the fear of man, Lord, would you give us wisdom and discernment in where we struggle, God, and where to fight and wage war against that in ways that honor you. Bring glory to you. God, help us to follow you more deeply. God, and as we sing to you now, God, help us not to men set aside, grab our phones, pack up, Lord, but, but to continue to spend these moments with you now. God, we need you and we love you. Thank you for tuning in to the Refuge Church Podcast. For more sermons or to learn how you can give to Refuge, check out our website at refugejackschurch.com. For those who have heard the gospel and believe the gospel, go out living the gospel. You are sent.